Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about wokeness, a new malady challenges doctors to find the cure. And we are very fortunate to have a very esteemed doctor as uh, today's guest. And um, I am really very excited to speak with um, Dr. Marilyn Singleton because, um, well, first of all, she is (laughs) outspoken about some of this uh, outrageous material as I am, and we are sort of a uh, a rare breed these days, and so I'm really excited to talk with her about not only about the issues in general, but about um, how our colleagues have been responding to uh, wokeness. Um, some uh, people, very few, are speaking out against it, but um, a lot of people, you know, particularly the AMA, the American Medical Association, has um, surrendered <laughs> um, to it. Has something something has gone to their head and they have surrendered. So let me first um, tell you about her. Dr. Singleton is a board-certified anesthesiologist. She's past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. She was graduated from Stanford and earned her M.D. at UCSF Medical School. She completed two years of surgery residency and then her anesthesia residency at Harvard's Beth Israel Hospital. And while she was still working in the operating room, she also attended UC Berkeley Law School. Uh, Imagine that. Focusing on constitutional law and administrative law, she interned at the National Health Law Project and practiced insurance and health law. Now she teaches classes in the recognition of elder abuse and constitutional law for non-lawyers. She lives in Oakland, California. So, Marilyn, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's just my pleasure. Well, before we sort of get into the topic... um, and, well, let me let me maybe um, read the description actually, so we so people know what the topic is. But um, okay, our society is sick with an illness doctors didn't learn about in medical school: wokeness. Some doctors are doing their part by trying to wake people up to the danger of being forced back to the days of segregation and making skin color more important than what's under the skin. Other doctors are intimidated and afraid to speak out, whether it's about race or the secret sexual transformations that teachers are forcing on kids behind their parents' back, making kids believe they are trans or at least not the gender they were born with. So, fortunately, today's guest is one of those, besides myself, (laughs) who um, does speak out against this craziness. So, welcome to the show. Um, Marilyn has spoken out about other topics, uh, other sort of taboo topics or I don't know, taboo, but I mean things that other doctors are very, um, are fearful about. But I think what, um, before we get into, you know, the whole issues of, of with race and, and trans and all of this, um, 
what has it been like for you? Why is it that you are speaking out? And what kind of um, backlash, I presume, have you gotten? Interestingly, you mentioned that so many doctors probably feel the same way I do but are afraid to speak out. And this goes to the broader picture of so many doctors. Now more than 50% are hired by corporate entities. So they're in a position where they're afraid to open their mouths because they might lose their job. And people who have been in private practice and had been in private practice for years and for the last 10 years of my practice, I was completely private. I was no longer working in the operating room. And so you can speak out and only you, you only have your patients who might hear you and say, oh, that's awful. I don't want to go to you anymore. Or, gee, I'm so glad you have the courage to speak your mind. And generally, patients like honesty and don't vilify you for speaking your mind. But I think the larger problem is doctors are afraid of losing their jobs. Hmm. I never really thought about it like that. Um, I mean, that kind of uh, explains explains some of it. Um, you know, of course, the, the big problem is uh, with medicine with insurance companies and, and causing doctors to not be able to spend as much time with patients and because they can't possibly make a living um, doing that. Uh, and, and yes, I guess that makes sense that a lot of them have, have joined corporations, um, and which also makes sense for why a lot of doctors who are working at who are on the faculty of hospitals as well um, are told the party line. Well, so so what makes you <laughs> what makes you uh, what em- emboldens you? Well, <laughs> you could ask my parents. They said I always had a big mouth, and once I finally started talking, I never stopped. But <laughs> certainly, um, now that about oh two years ago. I stopped even the private practice, so I'm able to speak my mind, and really the only repercussions are if you happen to know somebody who decides that you're a black, white, racist, or what, whatever term they want to call you and decide not to speak to you again. And um, as mother would say, good riddance to bad garbage, if, if that's <laughs> why they're not going to speak to you. But uh, and, and so... I feel lucky that in this troubled time, as you describe with this disease of wokeness, that I have the ability to say something and maybe encourage others to speak out because it's time that we just can't sit back and let this kind of bizarre ideology take over not only medicine, but truly all of our civilized society. Yes, um, you know, I I, I think um, over the years I have been um, I've talked about a, a lot of different topics in the media and written books about a lot of different topics and so on. But um, in the last, well, I guess maybe since nine eleven in particular, um, but you know, in the last years, some number of years. Um, 
I have really been focusing my attention also on what is destroying America. Um, because, because it's like you just have to, well, because, because, um, somebody needs to do it and, uh, and, and people need to wake up, literally wake up, um, to all of these kinds of things that are, you know, the, the thing that confuses me still about wokeness, um, and trans, and it's all the same thing because quite frankly, most, much of it, if not most of it, is perpetrated by Black Lives Matter. And the women who started Black Lives Matter were not only black, <laughs> but um, they, some of them at least, were trans or um, not um, LGBTQ something. And so it really came all together that, um, that th- this whole... Uh, war really against against white people against um, people who uh, like promoting promoting both both um, both not believing in the not going along with the gender that you were born with as well as um, be having to change all kinds of things because white people are supposedly racist so it's like but it, it sort of looks seems like it came out of nowhere it seemed like it came out of George Floyd you know, those riots and so on that, that happened. But it just still boggles my mind um, that really it was all of these seeds were laid longer ago and, because they are popping up all over the place, schools and, and um, the AMA. And, I mean, how did the AMA change from the way they used to be <laughs> when I was in medical school or, or, or in, in uh, residency and so on? Um, very conservative, you know, mostly men um, who would never have, have dreamed of even talking about wokeness. What happened? Well, one of the things, now, you have to own that AMA probably back in about 2003 came clean and admitted, yes, that we didn't like women, we didn't like blacks, we didn't want them in the organization, and in fact demeaned the possibility that they could be competent. They did their mea culpa, publicly apologized for their dreadful behavior, and then kind of laid low for a while. And then when this woke movement came up, they decided they were going to have a huge plan to embed racial justice. And then they came up with another huge paper that gave a list of the new vocabulary. The minute I read it, it sounded like 1984's so-called newspeak. There were words that we could no longer use. You couldn't say homeless, you, people with temporary housing problems, and on and on. Some of the, the lists of these definitions were, if you didn't know it was real, you'd think it yes. came out of the Babylon Bee and was satire. Yes, yes. I know what you're talking about. I saw that, especially, you know, especially pronouns and, and I mean, a whole list. And that this was the, the booklet or handbook or something that they were giving out. I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I read it on, um, in an article on uh, Daily Mail, and they had a whole big article about it and the, the list. And I was reading it. It was like, 
really, you had to wonder, is this another planet? What Did I fall asleep and wake up on another planet? What is going on? Well, there's this whole thing about not identity describing and situational describing. It's And it's the sort of thing where I don't see how anyone could ever keep up. And the problem is the thought and word police are out there almost trying to bait people into saying the wrong thing. It's like with transgender stuff. It used to be that you call it transitional surgery or gender surgery, something like that. Well, that's a big no-no if you don't call it affirmation surgery, then you will be called a transphobe. And I know people this has happened to. They're perfectly well-meaning people, but they did not know the word of the day. This is sick Mm. that we have stopped looking into people's hearts and just deciding that they should be painted with this brush of some sort of negativity because they don't know the word, the right word to say. Yes, and, you know, I mean, of course this is going, this whole issue and debate and and, uh, is going throughout all society, but I find it particularly um, uh, worrisome or or offensive, outrageous, um, when it has to do with doctors. I mean, even, I was reading something, um, even psychiatrists, I mean, if psychiatrists aren't going to look into the meaning behind different things or, um, well, like, for example, there's obstetricians. So what are obstetricians going to say when they deliver a baby? (laughs) It's an it? I mean, how do you practice medicine um, without being able to say the proper pronouns of of what the person's gender really is? Well, the thing that's interesting, you mentioned that even before this poor child is delivered, now, when babies get ultrasounds, the obstetricians aren't supposed to say it looks like a boy. They're supposed to say that it has uh, anatomy that may be the anatomy and describe it rather than assign it a gender. And oh, I can't God. believe that the person who would open their mouth actually believes what they're saying that they've become a puppet and they're just mouthing it because they're afraid of getting turned into the big boys. Because uh, these people went to medical school, they went to college, they learned about chromosomes. And we know from our practice or what we learned in medical school that, yes, there are some rare chromosomal abnormalities that cause true so-called gender ambiguity. But beyond that, you're a boy or you're a girl, and this whole gender dysphoria is something else. But don't pretend like there aren't boys and girls. It, it is really, um, it, it is so uh, psychologically bad for society, whether, <coughs> whether, no matter what race you are and no matter what gender you are, just in general for society, it, it's... Um, like you said, newspeak. It, the purpose of it is to is to make us all disoriented. Same thing with like uh, the cancel culture, taking away Dr. Seuss and and things like taking monopoly, <laughs> taking away all the things 
that we have been um, that we enjoy in our childhood and that was the statues it's all the same thing taking away all our markers you know all the things that kind of um, whatever our feelings are about these things um, it's just that they are markers that kind of orient us in life uh, so we know what year this is or where we are um, and and taking all of these things away is just so harmful. And I would, I, I, it just boggles my mind that the, the doctors um, don't realize that and, are, and are, have been hornswoggled into going along with this. Uh, and psychiatrists especially should realize just how, how dangerous this is. Um, you know, of course, I... <laughs> I first became very disillusioned with a psychiatrist, and yes, I just to, for my listeners, just just to reiterate or to be sure that you know, I am a psychiatrist uh, myself, um, and I became disor- dis- disoriented. Yes, yes, disoriented too, disillusioned with psychiatrists um, some years back when um, many of them, and now the majority, have folded. And because of insurance, because of not insurance companies realized that they could pay uh, psychologists and social workers and marriage and family therapists less money to do therapy than psychiatrists. So psychiatrists surrendered and became pill pushers, and the most most of them see patients um, just long enough to be able to get, write a prescription. And um, they, of course, the patients don't get better because pills. Uh, do not cure anybody of any psychiatric disorder uh, alone. You know, yes, of course, sometimes people need medication for, um, you know, with with the more serious disorders, but medication alone does not work. And so, and yet, and I couldn't believe that so many, I mean, I don't do that. If a patient wants to see me, um, they have to commit to once a week therapy, and if they need medication, I also give them medication during the therapy sessions. But to see the the psychiatrists in such huge numbers fall because of because of money, because of the insurance. Well, I mean, you know, it was wrong of the insurance company to do what they did, but um, instead of really trying to do the best for the patients, so many psychiatrists have changed like this. What is your opinion about that? You have dealt. Um, you were dealing with psychiatrists when you were in practice. One of the things that's so striking, and a couple of years ago, a number came out that said 70% of Americans were taking some sort of pharmaceutical or another, and the large percentage of these were antidepressants, and the large percentage of those were women in their mid-40s. And you just described it when you said not taking the time to talk to people and just pushing a pill, and you realize what people actually need is talking to. When I was doing my pain management practice, one of the biggest things that the patients always said is, doctor, you just spent an hour and a half with me getting to know me, and Sometimes that alone made them feel better because the trigger for their pain came out in the course of the conversation. And again, we mm-hmm. went all the way back to this whole corporatization of medicine and the insurance takeover where doctors can't really be doctors anymore. 
And so then you breed the next generation. We're in a generation where we saw the transition. The young kids coming out of school now have never seen it any other way. So that's how they're being trained. And it really saddens me because the whole oath of Hippocrates kind of medicine seems to be kind of going down the drain. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, we need to take a break at this point. Um, My guest is Dr. Marilyn Singleton. We're talking today about wokeness. A new malady challenges doctors to find the cure. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about wokeness, a new malady challenges doctors to find the cure. Unfortunately, we have... Dr. Marilyn Singleton, who is one of the few doctors um, <laughs> who is speaking out about uh, the, the philosophies, the strategies, the things that are taking over our society, um, including, including things like CRT, critical race theory, and um, um, trying, to, trying to teach people um, that the gender that they're born with is not cool. If you want to be cool, you have to be either the opposite gender or a trans or a non-binary, or it's hard to keep up with all the definitions of these things. And the idea that, that um, some governments, I don't know, um, I don't know whether it's, maybe you know, Marilyn, 
whether the passports, American passports, have they, um, have, they're not, you do have to say what gender you are on that, right? No, they just, no. I think it was last year. In fact, there was a big write-up about the first fellow or person who had their gender removed, and I don't exactly remember what they call it, whether it's X or something like that, but the State Department did change last year that it doesn't have to say M or F on there. On passports. I mean, I knew that certain states were doing that for certain um documents of identity, but I didn't realize it had, it had actually taken over the passport yet, because, I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, yes, you can imagine it, obviously, but uh, how, how, how dangerous that is, because there's enough danger with uh, identifying people coming into the country, and now to take away, you know, what, what their gender or their sex is just makes it that much harder to identify them in terms of whether they're a terrorist or what they are. Of course, I don't think there are many trans terrorists, but that could be coming. Um, That's right. They might find a way around it. Yes. Well, the the thing that's interesting about all this, it does all meld together. You mentioned critical race theory and where they've told white children to be ashamed of their skin color. And... So they're not in a correct category of people. So then having to get involved in this trans movement, it gives them a way to be kind of a, an unpopular group, a group that's sort of the other. And so that helps make up for being white. These poor children just don't know what to think. And it's another way to liberate them from their parents. And, of course, when you get into these kind of repressive societies, one of the things you have to do is not have the children be under parental influence. And, you know, they tell, tell the kids, oh, your parents are treating you like slaves and you should be thinking for yourself. And, my goodness, there's a reason that we have an age of majority and, and, well, you know, and the, the science says that brains aren't even fully formed until age 26. So the parents are necessity, but the government wants to take over the position of parents. So you've got to get these yes. kids pulled away from them. Yes. Um, yes, I have been talking about that, particularly when the, um, the one-year anniversary of January 6th, came around, uh, I was talking a lot about how the real January 6th, how that was a warning that we missed in terms of um, the kids who were reporting their parents to the police and the FBI if they saw them in Washington. And, you know, that was the, that was such a, a red flag, so lots of red flags, to show how far teachers had come in separating kids from their parents, in getting the kids to, to uh, be more aligned with them, with the teachers, with the school boards, all of that, than with their parents, that they would um, go so far as to report their parents, which, of course, they had to know would mean that their parents would probably go to jail and that kind of thing. So, but, but that just showed how much power 
schools had, had and have on the kids. But I, I still, just to go back to, I still don't see how, like, how did all these people with these ideas infiltrate the schools, for example, and infiltrate the AMA? For example? How did, like, where did they come from? How were there so many that got that infiltrated? Well, one thing you always have to remember is that it takes a small vocal percentage, a very small percentage of vocal people to turn a yeah. And one of the things, and particularly with doctors, think about it, doctors have their nose to the grindstone. They, and, and, and it kind of really came up with COVID stuff too. They didn't know anymore, for the most part, obviously not everyone, than what people heard on the local news. They've been in the office mm-hmm. all day. They finished seeing patients. They input into their electronic medical records. They go home, try to say hello to their husband or wife and kids, and eat dinner, and then crash and get ready for the next day. They mm-hmm. are spending time delving into the literature and all this. So... Doctors are a good target for a couple of reasons. If you think back to Mao and Pol Pot, who did they get rid of first? They got rid of the doctors. Then they got rid of nurses. Mm. Then they got rid of professors. They want to get rid of free thinkers. So, again, over time, doctors have become less autonomous, therefore less free thinkers. And so now they're a really good target for this sort of thing. And when you get the doctors, my goodness, you have people who, despite all that's gone on, are still respected in society. Patients will listen to them. And uh, they're the perfect mouthpiece for all of this wokeness. Mm-hmm. It's planned, mm-hmm. Dr. Carroll. It's planned. Well, now... <laughs> And did George Soros do all of this? I mean, it seems like a, a lot I wish for I one. Knew. I wish I knew. <laughs> well, but I suppose I mean, you can look at it that everyone has disciples and people who believe this. I mean, whether George Soros was behind BLM, I don't know. But certainly the people who are behind it are uh people who espouse this, it's, it's called queer theory, and then there's a subheading of black queer feminist theory, and uh, all of which says that in the end that the government's going to be the one to take care of you, that there's too many sub-hierarchies of society, and, and this is why they had to do this white supremacy stuff, because to point out that society is hierarchical and to get rid of it, you just have one person in power who, of course, we don't know who it is, but it's not going to be somebody elected by us. It's going to be whoever mm-hmm. decided that they're going to be the master of the universe. So do you think that there's going to be a civil war? Oh, I sure hope not. I think people are waking up. And you know how they always say that that expression, gone too far, that I think that uh-huh. started to happen in the last several years. Look at what happened with the um, 
drag queen story hour that, you know, and I'm all for people being open-minded and whatnot, and, uh, but when you have drag queen story hour to three, four, and five-year-olds and, and yeah. you know, arriving on the floor in sexual positions, even people who were open-minded said, wait a minute, this has gone too far. And we don't hear about Drag Queen Story Hour anymore. And in fact, Mm. um, Mm. you know, many of them have been stopped. And I think the same thing is going to happen with all this, that people are going to put their foot down and say, wait a minute, you're trying to tell me that all white people have this stamp of racism on them. And yes, we all know there are racists, just like there's jerks of all shapes and sizes in many types of ways. But everybody isn't one merely because they're white. And people are going to stand up, look around, see how they live, see how they work, and say, wait a minute, I really do have friends and acquaintances, and they treat me normally, I treat them normally. What are they talking about? And I think mm-hmm. more and more people are going to wake up to that. Well, that's the thing. You know, Black Lives Matter, even though it's a huge, um, it's, it's, you can't, it's hard to even, to even assess the size, but obviously it's got chapters all over. And, um, but, um, but they don't really, they're the loudest, but they, and they're the most uh, aggressive, but they don't really represent the majority of black people who don't want to be that aggressive and riot and, and, and who are, just want to get about their lives, you know, going after the American dream, just like white people. That's exactly right. And guess what? Black people are just like white people. As silly as this sounds, I'll tell you two things. Back in the 1950s, a book I grew up with was called A Pictorial History of the Negro in America. It was written by Langston Hughes. And um, the book opens saying, Negroes in America are like all Americans. They're teachers, doctors, lawyers, engineers, scientists. You wouldn't believe that it's the same country we're talking about, to go back and read the opening of that book. And that was before the Civil Rights Act. And, and so black people have always done lots of stuff. And then number two, this is the part that, you know, some people make things sound silly. Turn on Wheel of Fortune. Look at the people on there. Look at how they interact with each other. And that's real America. They have contestants of all stripes. They have gay contestants, male gay contestants, female gay contestants, black people, Indian people, Mexican people. They've got all sorts, and they're all up there smiling, clapping for each other. Those are Uh how people really are. Pat Sajak doesn't treat the black people any differently than the white Mm -hmm. people. You know? Mm -hmm. and. That's that's how people really are. You know, yes. You know, while we're looking <laughs> at books from back in the day, did you by any chance uh, come across a book when you were a little kid, presumably, um, 
that had it was two bunnies. It was a it was a, a, a um, paperback, uh, soft cover, almost like a pamphlet. Um, it was a kids book, and uh, it had two bunnies on the cover. And the idea was it started out with a story about a little boy crossing the street, um, a white little boy, and he gets he, he's chasing a ball into the street and he gets run over by a car, and the person who runs him over is a white bunny. And the doctor at the hospital who takes care of him is a black bunny. And so on and so forth, where, you know, it kind of just dispels prejudices, you know, goes against what you might want to believe if you're prejudiced um, throughout the story. And it, and it, 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 it was, it was, did you ever come across that? No, I hadn't seen that. That's what a good way to point things out. Yes, I can't remember the name of it, so I haven't been able to find it. But, I mean, that's the kind of thing. That's what kids should be reading in school, not um, all this CRT stuff. And, and the book, what's the, what's the name of the book? Um, what's the name of the book about uh, a rabbit, I think it was, who was gay? Oh, we're having a, we have to take another break. That went quickly. Well, in the break, maybe you can remember or I can look it up or something. A book about a gay, I think a rabbit also, um, but who, for kids. Um, and it was more about teaching kids about that you should be, you know, not the gender you're born with. Well, I'll, I'll um, take a break now, sign off to take a break. And when we come back, we can talk more about that and all these other things that our free associations are leading us to. Again, my guest is Dr. Marilyn Singleton. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and we'll be right back. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 
472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is Dr. Marilyn Singleton. We have been looking at wokeness, curing wokeness. That's what I should have called the show, curing wokeness, trying, doing our part. Um, the name of the book that I was trying to remember was a day the, the um, not the one with the two bunnies where one was black and one was white, but in terms of now we're going to uh, uh, LGBTQ um, and there's also a bunny. I don't know why the bunnies are, are big for little kids. Um, it, it, I remember this. I, I was at the book expo uh, in New York and um, Dick Book Expo America. And so uh, I usually had a um, a table there, you know, with, with whatever my latest book was. And so one year, and I guess it was 2018, I was there, and um, I was walking around, like it was after the, the technically the hours had closed, and so I was just walking around looking at the other exhibits and so on, the other books. And I came across this book called A Day in the Life of Marlon Bundo. And uh, it had, you know, a bunny on on the cover, and so it was clearly, well, it looked like it was supposed to be a children's book, and it is a children's book. Um, and it's about a fictional day in the life of Marlon Bundo, the real-life pet rabbit, a former vice president of the United States, Mike Pence. And it details the same-sex romance between Marlon Bundo and another rabbit named Wesley. Um, so, and the I, it was written... Let's see. Um, it was it was written to make fun of Pre- Vice President Pence over his controversial anti-LGBTQ views, such as his alleged support for conversion therapy of gay adolescents and opposition to same-sex marriage, etc. But when I saw it, I mean, I guess I was um, naive at that point. Still, um, I I thought. I mean, I didn't really think it was for kids. I thought it was, it was made, I had illustrations like a children's book, but I thought it was for adults, just like, you know, a coffee book, coffee table book or something like that. And then um, only did I later find out that this really is a book that was aimed at kids. And the idea, I mean, that, and, you know, of course, since then, you know, since then it has gotten a lot worse in terms of what kids are being uh, how being taught in beginning in elementary school, and I mean I'm sure you know um, Dr. Singleton that uh, in uh, in New York, for example, there was this several months ago um, in the New York Post. There was this story about a, and this is happening all over. It's not just in the New York Post, but that's where that's where it was uh, written about first. Um, a private school in New York where a teacher was teaching about, you know, they hire these teachers to teach sex classes for elementary kids, and a teacher was teaching kids masturbation. Like, you have to teach a, a person, a little person, how to masturbate. Kids figure that out all on their own. And yet, this, this was a course in school um, to teach them how to do this, not to mention, of course, also teaching them about uh, gay sex and, and everything else. I'm sure you've heard about that, Marilyn, right? Oh, I have. And one of the things that I find interesting about these kinds of courses, and they get younger and younger and younger, 
is it's a subtle difference. Parents have to opt out versus opt in. If to opt mm-hmm. in, you had to take something home, and so the parents would then have to know it was being taught. If a parent has to opt out, that means the kid could never take the permission slip home, and the mm. parent would never even know about it. And perhaps that's the best thing to come out of COVID-19 yes. is when kids yes. started learning from home. Parents saw what the curriculum was. What do you think got parents so up in arms at these school board meetings? They had learned what their children were being taught. Yes, absolutely. And that is the silver lining to COVID. Because even though, as we've been talking about, these things apparently have been seeded and uh, encroaching for a long time, um, people didn't really know about it, didn't know the extent of it. Um, oh, of course, now if they complain at school board meetings, they're called domestic terrorists and arrested. <laughs> but, you know, there always has to be something. One of the things in this whole theory of keeping people on edge is you have to pop a crisis in there every now and then. Just when people get complacent, they start to get happy again. We need to throw a crisis at them. And if people think COVID-19 is going to be the last thing now that it seems to be waning and hospitalizations are down, et cetera, that there will be something else because everything seems to go with a political election cycle. And if you sit down and map these things out, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's like everybody's got to come up with something that they've done right before an election to show how good they are and how wonderful they are, even though they did nothing for the last two years. And we've gotten used to it, and we kind of roll our eyes and say, oh, yeah, so there'll be something else that'll come out and to get us all hyped up and scared again. But that's where it's up to us to pay attention and be aware that whether we're being manipulated, and too many times we are. Now, obviously, we need to know information, and a lot of the information we get is public health. But the manipulation, it was like early in the COVID thing on certain news channels. All they had up there were the deaths. Did they ever put how many people recovered? No, because they wanted us to be scared. And now that they have the vaccines, which is sort of the end point, suddenly they're letting you know how many people recover. It's so, I mean, and this can happen in studies and anything else where you present the data in a way that's most favorable to you. It's like presenting data as a percentage versus absolute numbers. If you want something to look bad, you can say a thousand people died. Well, what's the denominator? Was it out of seven billion? Mm -hmm. Was it a thousand out of ten thousand? You know, so depending on what point you're trying to make, you either get raw numbers, modified numbers, you don't get the um, intervening factors put in. There was a study I read about saying that there were more police interventions in neighborhoods that had uh, people of color and then and more preterm births 
in these neighborhoods, and they were trying to say it was because of the police interventions. And then the authors of the study admit, they say, oh, well, we didn't um, include high blood pressure, other pre-existing conditions, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So unless you include those, how can you make that correlation? And so they admitted it out front. But again, going back to what I said about doctors being busy and people just being busy trying to survive, especially now with all this inflation, that they just read the conclusion. They don't look in the methodology of the study and find out that they didn't cover for these confounding factors. And once you throw those in, you have no correlation anymore. But, you know, they mm-hmm. write a one-sentence conclusion, and that's what people read. Um, I want to make sure, you know, we're kind of heading towards the end of the show, and I want to make sure during the break you had started talking about um, the babies, the um, black people or pregnancy people, the, the fad of people getting pregnant and um I think you were primarily talking about black women getting, I mean, that's what I have seen, black women getting pregnant and then having these baby daddies um, support them. But you were, what were you, could you continue with that? Um, Describe what you, why you were mentioning that? Well, just how these things happen, and it actually wasn't the whole baby daddy thing. This was happening. There was whole schools at very prevalent in white neighborhoods in Massachusetts where all the girls, they made packs that they were going to get pregnant and all get yes. pregnant at the same time so they could be mommies with their babies. And it, it some sort of, I don't, I, I'm not the psychiatrist. I don't know what you call it, whether it's just plain old peer group pressure or some sort of mass fad that takes over. And people are worried, even doctors. I read an incredible article with the one of the doctors who's really, she's the um, premier person who does this gender surgery. And even she said, these kids are being pushed too young and that they have to... Um, examine, what do they call it, gender exploratory therapy. I think that's the word that they want people to actually have therapy to explore this before going on and giving hormones. And um, somebody uh, gave this analogy. They said, how many kids, if you asked them when they were seven or eight years old, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they'll say an astronaut or, you know, whatever. And then see what act, what they actually became. And some of this gender stuff could be a phase. And if you start doing something too early to a child, you could leave them sterile or do something irreversible. And that's what's really sad. And that's coming from people who actually do the surgery. So to me, that sounds like common sense. Don't let these kids rule the roost. They're children, and their minds change. Yes. um, I mean, you know, really, they go through phases. I mean, I've certainly seen that in patients and families that I've treated where, uh, like, what about tomboys, you know? But nowadays... Parents want to seem like they're cool. I mean, some parents want to seem like they, they're cool. And so if they are seeing their child become a tomboy, oh, she must really want to be a boy. I'm going to take her to a doctor and give her hormones. And 
you know, the statistics are that the kids who, who are made to do these things, to change their, to, to have some kind of um, transformation in terms of not just being the gender they were born with, um, with surgery, with hormones, with all of that, they end up killing themselves when they get to be teenagers. And they're so confused and they regret having changed their body to be a different gender. And and this is what's sad because so much of this stuff is irreversible. And what I hate seeing is having it all kind of melded together in a giant stew where they've put Black Lives Matter, um, abolish prisons, abolish capitalism, um, environmental justice, all this stuff, and they've put it in one giant pot and saying you need to do all this in order to improve the lives of patients. And you think, wait a minute, this sounds more like politics than patient care. And yes, that's yes. the sad part. You know, of our whole conversation, it's more politics than patient care. Yes, absolutely. And when I was looking up about the uh, AMA and their, you know, their their new guidelines and so on, um, one of their things is they mentioned about prisons, taking away prisons, that you would think doctors would be smart enough to know <laughs> that you don't take away prisons. I mean, uh, well, that's no, we want singleton fairness, but not that. Yes, right. I mean, I mean, we see what's happening when you're taking away prisons and taking away bail and all that. We're seeing it now in our streets. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Marilyn Singleton. It's so, it is so nice to have a sane conversation with another doctor. So thank you. And thank, thank you for having me. And thank me. you. You're welcome. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 